Hey, if you have your Bibles with you, let's turn to Matthew 5. We're going to be reading verses 13 through 16. So I'll give you guys a second to turn there. The word says, You are the salt of the earth, but if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Ben. And Will and worship team, thank you. And we will continue to worship when I'm done preaching. And as always, we'll have uh, some folks in the back of the room. We've got a couple of elders here tonight. We've got an incredible prayer team. And they are here every week to intercede for you. Whether it's something going on with you or someone else, my encouragement would be if you sense, man, it would be great to have somebody else join in this. Go visit them in the back during one of the songs and, uh, and let's Let's experience that aspect of worship as well. So we are in the Sermon on the Mount. We are, uh, we're jumping into, we, we went through the Beatitudes in one week, um, which is the first 12 verses of Matthew chapter five. And, uh, and I just wanna give you a little bit of background. If we haven't met, by the way, my name is Thomas Nelson. I'm the young adult pastor here at Christ Covenant, and it's great to have you with us on a stormy Tuesday night. Don't forget your umbrellas. Uh, when you leave, because I'm notorious for leaving mine. Uh, but so glad that you're, that you're here. Uh, what I wanted to kind of unpack for you is just a little bit of the background of what has happened. So this is Jesus's longest, longest recorded sermon. It's three chapters. It's Matthew chapter five, chapter six, and chapter seven. Parts of this are in the other gospels, but this is the biggest single recording of a sermon that we have. So it's important to know the background as to why we got there. So let me do this 30,000 foot flyover for you. Matthew is a gospel that was written to primarily the Jewish people. And so you get a lot of Jewish idioms, you get a lot of Jewish thought, you get a lot of things that in the first century to a Jewish person, someone in Israel, it would have made a lot of sense. And so for us, being 2,000 years later and being Western, we have to kind of step back and kind of unpack things to really understand what's happening to the full depth. But before we get to this sermon, you get the birth of Christ, after the birth of Christ, you get the, 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 uh, the magi, the wise men come, and then there's this flight to Egypt, which is representative of when the Israelites had to go to Egypt, and then they came out of bondage. So you really get a picture of Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, in the book of Matthew, even through the first few chapters. Then we have the baptism of Jesus. After the baptism of Jesus, we have the temptation of Jesus, and so it certainly skips all of his growing up years. Uh, we, next time we see him when he comes back he's pretty much an adult and uh and then right after the temptation of Jesus you get the call of the first disciples and then here we are in this sermon and so he's got his first disciples with him as he gives this sermon and he's got a bunch of curious onlookers because he has already begun his ministry Jesus's ministry was twofold and it was always twofold one there was a healing component when Jesus would go places, he would heal people. The second part is that he would preach 
a repentance for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And so he was preaching and he was healing. Both of those are what Matthew talks about a bunch, and that is bringing the kingdom of heaven to earth. And so we have this picture of Jesus bringing the kingdom to earth, and now for three chapters, he's gonna talk about what does it look like when the kingdom of heaven comes to earth. And so he begins that by saying, hey, here's how you have a blessed life, a blessed life. Here's what that means. And so you just need to go back and check the podcast out and listen to last week's if you missed that. But I think the word, the best word we have in English is actually not blessed. The best word I think that we have in English is flourish. And he talks about this is a flourishing life. And so the rest of the Sermon on the Mount is really extrapolating and pulling out what does it look like to flourish in this existence as a child of God left here in a broken world. And that's why I think the Sermon on the Mount is just incredible, but it's also skipped by lots of teachers or mistaught um, because it is very Jewish and it is really difficult to try to figure out how does this play out without coming up with some like cliche things that might be wrong in the end. So We're gonna try to avoid that as best we can. Let me pray for us and we're gonna get going. Father, I thank you so much for this group. I ask that you would speak to us tonight as Will said earlier, Lord. We may forget the songs, we may forget the sermon, but we won't forget if you encounter us. And so Lord, I do ask that you would encounter us this evening. And so we lift this up in Jesus' name, Lord, amen. I think in the Sermon on the Mount, there's probably uh, four main themes, and the themes are also in the Beatitudes. That's the first 12 verses. I think there's the kingdom of God is, is a theme. Heaven is a theme. Persecution is a theme. And mercy is a theme. And, and so what you've got to know when you look at the Sermon on the Mount is that it's really, and this is so fascinating, the Bible is one story. All, all 66 books here tell one story written by many different authors, but all inspired by the same author, all inspired by the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. That's why we say it after any passage that we read, this is the word of the Lord. I think, and I read this in in one guy's thoughts, and I was like, I think he is spot on. I think that the Sermon on the Mount might just be Jesus giving a full Jesus-centered passage, like a Jesus-centered sermon on Psalm 1. I really think if you go back and you read Psalm 1, what you see for three chapters is Jesus saying, let me teach you Psalm 1 in light of me. And so it's fascinating. They both contrast two different paths, Psalm 1 and the Sermon on the Mount. Um, They both contrast, they they both talk about the path of wisdom. They both have fruit-bearing trees. There is a final judgment in both of them. There's the separation of the righteous and the wicked in both of them. Uh, And it, it does also, both also talk about the people that the Lord knows and what will happen with them and the people that the Lord does not know. And that does not mean that he doesn't have a knowledge of them. It means intimately know He knows their hearts. They know his heart. They are his. And so I think it's just fascinating that when you look at the two, that really I think Jesus is expounding for three chapters on a six-verse psalm. And to let you know how short that is, six verses is what we just read as our call to worship tonight. 
And so, look, what, you, what I don't want you to, to misunderstand when I use the word flourishing, though, is that as we study this book, that there's some magic formula you can have with Jesus that is going to release you from any type of suffering in this life. It's just not there. In fact, it's actually the opposite. When you look at those nine Beatitudes, they all talk about how to flourish and how we as followers of Jesus flourish in light of the troubles that are in this life. Not as a way to get out of the troubles of this life. We'll see that more as the sermon is taught and looked at. Um, Calvin has an interesting idea. Calvin uh, concludes by arguing that the point of the Beatitudes is to show that those are not unhappy who are oppressed by the reproaches of the wicked and subject to various calamities. All throughout Christian history, people have been so interested in looking at the, these Beatitudes and then trying to find this, this idea through the rest of the Sermon on the Mount of thinking positively that this life is just going to be easy. That they actually miss, as one guy said, the darkness within each of the Beatitudes. And so as we transition from the Beatitudes to being salt and light, I do think that there's another idea. There's going to be two theological things that I kind of throw at you tonight. One is a review, one is new. So I do think that it's important as we look at this to, to understand, especially in tonight's passage, that we have a, a decent grasp on the idea of we are not a people of the retribution principle or its cousin, prosperity theology. People have looked for those in this sermon for years. And here's, here's what it is. The retribution, principle, the retribution principle, easy for me to say, is that God blesses the righteous and curses the wicked. Its cousin, the prosperity gospel, which promises good things to those who love God, these both contain a little bit of truth. But because they're so far from being biblical, they're actually unbiblical. We have to lump them into the trash heap that we call heresies. And by the way, P.S., here's a P.S. Here's a quick way to tell if you are prone to the retribution principle or prosperity theology. If you are walking with God, you have your quiet time, you occasionally listen to like Christian radio, bless you. Like you, you know, you're like, you're like, you're like doing the thing. You like brave the rain on a Tuesday night, you're doing all that and something bad happens and your first thought is, what did I do wrong that God is punishing me? Okay, now if that's not you, here's another way. Here's a P, uh, a post postscript, PPS. Um, and so here's, here's, here's another way. Somebody else that you know who loves Jesus, they, they even have like a little tiny Jesus tattoo somewhere. Their parents haven't seen it yet. Um, like, you know that one. Uh, and so like, they like really love the Lord. And then something bad happens to them. And your first thought is, what did they do wrong that God is punishing them? Just let, the, let like the warning antenna go up that you have something in you that is prone to the idea of the retribution principle or the prosperity gospel because they are closely related. So I think 
clearly connected to how to flourish, how we as followers flourish, is this next section. In fact, I think it, it almost reads, blessed, 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 flourishing, 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 flourishing. Therefore, you are the salt of the earth. But if the salt has lost its taste, how shall it be made salty again? It's no longer good for anything except to be thrown out, trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. City on a hill can't be hidden. Nor do people light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. If you add up the Beatitudes and tie them in with you are the salt of the earth, you are the light of the world, and you really see it for the way Jesus says it, you'll agree with what the late, great Rich Mullins, um, an incredible songwriter who has passed away, what what he used to say. He used to say, I think when you follow Jesus, you live real good and get beat up real bad. And I just think it's better for us to just like see what the Bible's saying than to kind of make niceties up. So as we dig into this, I want to remind you of 2 Timothy 2.15. Because I'm going to tell you a couple of things tonight that might be, might be new or a little bit different ideas. 2 Timothy 2.15 says, To do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. It's often that when people come across a familiar passage or slightly confusing passage, you are the salt of the earth. You you are the light of the world. When you hear those things, it's really easy as a communicator to kind of make stuff up. Let me give you some nice ideas about what it is to be salt and some nice ideas about what it is to be light. Maybe even come up with three steps to follow and then like pray for you and call it a night. I want us to like step back and try to see, is there something more than maybe what we've heard before on we are salt and light? So let's, let me just highlight a couple of things for you. I think this is super, super important. Jesus said, you are, and then he said it again, you are. And he said, you are the salt, you are the light. And I think that this is very, very important, that as we start to study this passage, you realize that these two things are not to be earned, not to be acquired, but they have been bestowed upon you if you are a follower of Jesus. You you are these two things. This is not like, this is not like something else Jesus is saying that you got to look like real careful in to figure out what's he saying. He's saying like, no, no, no. As a follower of him, it is bestowed upon you. I, like, I want to say this like 30 times, and so I'm trying to stop myself because it's so important. And honestly, I was convicted as I was studying for this because I get spiritual amnesia and I forget this. We are according to Jesus, the salt of the earth, and we are the light of the world. I think the big question is, what are you going to do about that? Like, what are you going to do with that? 
And so he does say a couple of interesting things. He says in here that um, if the salt can, if the salt loses its taste, um, that's a that's a negative of it. Oh, that's negative. So let's let's use a different color. Let's. My pencil is like it's not doing its job. Um, it's I'm like writing and it's not doing anything. There we go. Okay. What? Why didn't someone tell me earlier? You couldn't see anything. You don't even know what I was drawing. It was so good, it got erased. Like, we'll just have to go back to the basics. Man, this is like, it's just got the spinny wheel. Okay. Here we go. Ready? Okay. At the top. Let's just pretend this works. You, you are, and then if you go to verse to go to verse 14, it says, you are again. So they're bestowed on you, and then there's the light, and then there's the salt. It's working. Thank the Lord. That's amazing. All right, here we go. That's so much better. Actually, I don't know what you did, but way to go. Or whoever did that, way to go. Okay. So then he says, so he says, you are, um, check this out. You can make a pointer now. So right here, the, the you are, we should do this for lyrics, Will. You are the salt. You are the light. But then he's going to give a couple of negatives. Over here is a negative, and then I'll draw you another, another negative. Um, he's going to give a couple of negatives. He says that people, don't, they don't put a light under a basket, um, and a, a light also can't be hidden. And so there's something to be seen, like right out of the gate here. You are the salt. And then he says, but you know, what if the salt loses its saltiness? And some of you tonight are wondering, like, have I lost my saltiness? Uh, and then he says, you are the light. And some of you are like, have I been like hiding my light? And so that's kind of what we're going to explore. Um, you know, the hiding a light, first of all, like, let me just go ahead and say it. First of all, like salt can't lose its taste. Literally, like NACL, it can't lose its taste. As long as it is sodium chloride, like it tastes like salt. So I think Jesus' tone here is like, he's like, you know I'm saying something ridiculous, right? So I'll put it in modern terms. Sometimes Heather goes to bed before me. Sometimes I go to bed before Heather. Usually it's the other way around. I go to, she goes to bed and then, and then I come to bed. She's a teacher. She turns into a pumpkin about 10.30. And so like she's heading off and I'll sneak in the bedroom with my iPhone light on, right? Because they're so dim, you know? Just kidding. And so I'll like cup it with my hand. You know, the funny thing about light rays are they bend, and so I might as well just flip the lights on and announce my arrival, right? Like, so Jesus is saying something ridiculous here. You are the light of the world. Like, you, you can't hide it. Cup your hand around it. You know, when you were a kid and you take the flashlight and put it on your hand, you're like, I see my veins. Like, you know what I'm talking about. If you didn't do that, you've missed out. You need a, you need a powerful flashlight because it's amazing. Like, He's saying some ridiculous things here on, on purpose. You are the salt. You, you are the light. Both of those have been bestowed upon you. So just to jump to the punchline, if I had to sum up what it means to be salt, here's what I would say. I would say that you are God's permanent, redeemed people. Salt is always salt. As long as it's salt, it's salt. You are God's permanent redeemed people. And if I had to sum up what it means to be light, I would say that you are God's witness to the nations. 
And I'm gonna read to you Isaiah 42, six in just a little bit. I would say to you that you are God's witness to the nations. So let me just prove this to you from the Bible. Um, There's plenty of sermons, you can find them. And I don't think they're bad. I don't think they're wrong. I just think they're maybe, they're just not where I'm going tonight. There's all kinds of applications on what it means to be salt. Tons of stuff out there. But I I, I don't think Jesus is saying you are literal like sodium chloride. Um, I think he's saying something else that I think the Bible can help us unearth. So let's take it back about 1,500 years before Jesus. In the ancient, ancient world, all of the different tribes of people understood the value of salt. And at some point, one of those cultures, and I don't know which one it was, came up with what's called a salt covenant. And they would practice this covenant by bringing salt together to show a bond of permanence. And the Israelites, through God's instruction, though they didn't come up with this, the Israelites, through God's instruction, embraced this idea of a salt covenant. And so a few few verses would be Isaiah 61, 1 through 4, that shows that Jesus is the true salt. And tonight, when we, when we have our benediction at the very end of the worship, I'm gonna read you those four verses. Leviticus 2.13 teaches that every gift offered at the altar when the Israelites had the temple was to contain salt. So Jesus is the ultimate salt, the preserver, the redeemer, But then all these gifts foreshadowed this preserving, this redeeming. Numbers 18, 19 says that the priests were to be taken care of and God uses the words in a covenant of salt. And now, according to 1 Peter 2, 9, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. There's salt and light in both of, the, in both of those in that verse in 1 Peter 2, 9. Because what is this? You're, you're a royal priesthood. Well, the priests were covenanted with salt as the permanently redeemed chosen of the Lord. And you were called out of darkness into marvelous light. And Ezekiel 16, if you want to just go read a chapter, if you're like having a hard time sleeping with the thunder and all, read Ezekiel 16. And what you'll see is this incredible picture of this baby on the side of the road. And the the baby is Israel. And the person who finds the baby is the Lord. And the Lord says, I found you on the side of the road, still covered in blood, not wiped off and not rubbed with salt because you did a salt covenant on a baby to show you are mine and you'll always be mine. And then the story goes on that the Lord, the Lord took the baby. And so if the Lord took the baby, the Lord performed a salt covenant on that baby. And then the baby ultimately, since it's Israel, ultimately rebels against the Lord. But it's this incredible picture in Ezekiel 16. And you put all of these together and you get to the New Testament and Jesus being the ultimate redeemer, the promise found in all of those offerings with salt has now purchased us with his blood on the cross. And he says, you are the salt now. You 
are the offering. You are the promise of forever. You are the redeemed of all time. And so when we look at this salt, we, we, we learn, if we go back through history, that the expression, you're worth your salt, is actually like a really old expression from the time of the Romans. Jesus looked at that crowd and he said, you're worth your salt because it's my salt that made you salty. Not you will be worth, not if you work hard enough. He's like, no, 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 you are the salt. I bestow it upon you by my blood and life. And so as one, as one man, James Latham, as his name says, the most fundamental idea behind you being the salt is the idea of permanence. You have been permanently changed by Christ. You have been permanently born into the family. You have been permanently called a child of God. You have been permanently altered forever, but not because of one thing you did, because of him who did it all. You are the salt. And let's think about this. If you are the salt, you can't lose your flavor. But if I took a handful of salt and I went to your front yard and I threw the salt in your front yard, I could damage your front yard for a long time. If I shoved a whole bunch of salt in your mouth, I could kill you. But I wouldn't do that. It's like super aggressive. Um, like, or if you did it to me, let's do that. Like, you could kill me. Please don't. That'd be a terrible way to go. And so you see, like, you can't lose your saltiness, but you can misuse it. And I think that's really important for us to understand. And so the salt is the permanence, the redeemed of the Lord. You are the salt of the earth. And then he says, you are the light of the world. You are a city that is set on a hill and you can't be hidden. And so what is light? Well, light is a little easier to flesh out in the scriptures, but I think it's clear that light is the witness to the nations. And not like when you behave, you're a witness to the nations. Like you, you are a witness to the nations all day long, no matter what you're doing. You bear the mark of being a witness to the nations. Isaiah 9, 2, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness, on them has shone a light. So Jesus is the true light. John 1, 9, the true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. Jesus is the true light. Isaiah 42, 6, I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. I will give you as a covenant for the people a light for the nations. And so what we see in scripture is Jesus is not calling you anything he hasn't already been. He is the salt and he's saying, now you're the salt. He is the ultimate light and he's saying, now you are the light. And so basically, can we go to the iPad real quick, Ashley? Basically, this is, I practiced this one time. Um, basically, like, this is us. 
That's the planet. That's the planet. I don't know. Earth. Um, that's the sun. That's the moon. Okay. This, this is what Jesus is saying. He's saying, look, this is, this is him over here, and he has shown his light on you, and you are now permanently reflecting him. Whether you like it or not, you bear a permanent reflection. Think about, you're like Moses. Moses in Exodus 34 went up on Mount Sinai and he met with the Lord and he got the commandments of God. And when he came back down, it says what? It says that he was glowing. His encounter with the Lord physically changed his face and his skin. He was glowing. Your encounter with Christ does the same thing. Though you may not have a physical glow, you are the light. You bear it. I mean, when when you when Jesus was preaching this sermon, it was it would have been such it would have been so obvious. He's preaching right outside of Capernaum, the, the town that he lived in most, where Peter lived, and he's up on a mountain right beside Capernaum, and he's in the north part of the Sea of Galilee, and he's looking like they're looking south as he's preaching this sermon, and everybody would have known. Oh, he's talking about Tiberius. It was the biggest city. It's still the biggest city. This is Tiberius at night right now. It's always been the one town on the Sea of Galilee that is set on a hill that cannot be hidden. It would be ridiculous. Even if they all went out and they covered up their lamps, you would still see a muffled glow of light out there. And so everyone would know what he was saying is a ridiculous thought to try to hide that city. And yet you and I all day long wrestle with how are we going to hide this light that is bestowed upon me? Benjamin Hastings in his song, The Cathedral of the Nelder Grove. One day I'll find a new Christian song to talk about in every third sermon, uh, but I just love this song. He has this line where he says, he says, the Pharisee, the woke, the wayward, it's just three different shades of pride. I really think, as I've thought about it, I really think he's spot on. I think there's three ways that we try to not be salt even though it's bestowed upon us. And I think, which is that permanence of God, the redeemed of God that can't be escaped. Or we try to like hide the light, the light to the nations, the witness to the nations. I think there's three main ways that we do it. And I think he said it so well in his song. We're either the Pharisee, the woke, or the wayward. And so if you have been wrestling with just being who God has made you, redeemed and a witness to the nations, if you've been squirming over this in a relationship or at work or with your family or your roommates, if you've been squirming with like, man, I'm not really letting them see who I am. I'm kind of hiding this. Um, if, I, if I really show them, it's going to change our relationship. Um, it's going to change my work dynamic. It's going to change the family. It's going to change the roommates. If you've been squirming about any of this, you probably are one of these three. The Pharisee, that's the, that's the legalist. And the legalists paint such bad pictures of Christianity. All the legalists I know, I'm like, tell me who has come to Jesus that you've known in the last 10 years? And they're like, nobody. I'm like, yeah, nobody wants your brand of Jesus. Like, he's angry. Um, and like, he's very hard to follow. And so the legalist is a person who, this is how it starts. They have a conviction, a deep conviction over something. 
And then they decide that that conviction needs to also be your conviction and your conviction and your conviction. And they judge you when you don't keep their convictions. And these are usually in areas that are secondary. I, I think they would do well to learn from the old statement that's used in so many church doctrines, in essentials, unity, in non-essentials, liberty, and in all things, charity. I would say, though, that's probably not most of you. I would say in 2023, most of us probably are in the second two categories, the woke or the wayward. There's an idea in church called the welcome home idea. Someone has a slight interest in Jesus, and you're like, welcome home. You're here. You've arrived. And what you've just done is begun to communicate a false gospel You've stopped communicating that we have a holy God who can never be approached with us as we are. We have a God who is so holy. I heard somebody say the other day, the first time he came to kill sin in men, but the second time he comes, it will be to kill men in sin. And so we have a God who is altogether holy and what you've just told them is God's not that holy and you're not that sinful. And you create this ooey, like gooey, like half-baked version of Christianity that just gets all over people's fingers and ruins their clothes. And so I think what the heart of this kind of woke Christianity is simply an inversion, a perversion of the first, greatest command, the first and greatest commandment and the second commandment. Matthew 22, 36 through 40, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. The second commandment is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. In doing so, all the law and the prophets hang on these. That is the first and the second greatest commandment. And what happens is a bleeding heart, a concern for someone who shows half uh, an inkling that they might want to know the Lord, we flip it. And we love our neighbor with all of our heart, all our mind, all our strength. And then we try to figure out how to fit God's love around that. And we end up lying to folks. And they don't know that they are dead in their trespasses. But they have a God who loves them so much, he died for them. And they've got to come to the end of themselves as they reach out to him who paid it all. And then I would venture to say that several are probably in the wayward category. I would call this the category of the fool. The wayward Christian is the one who is still salt and who is still light. It has been bestowed upon you, but you have chosen to try to run and be something you're not. And so think about this. If you, without, you, if you, can't, you cannot control this if you're in Christ, you are the salt. You are the light. That is your identity in Christ. You are the permanent redeemed of the Lord. You've been marked by the blood of Christ, sealed with the Holy Spirit. That is who you are. And you are the witness to the nations. That is who you are because that is who he has said you are. And that's that and that's all. And you take that and you say, I'm just going to go be pagan for a while. You can't. You can't really go be pagan. You're like a fake pagan. And eventually people are like, he's a fake pagan. He's been partying with us, but he's like not one of us. 
And so you get rejected by them and you're not with your brothers and sisters and fellowship with them. And so they don't know what's going on with you or they've been trying to reach out, but you're like ashamed to go back. And so you find yourself crippled all the while simply choosing and maybe just not even knowing who you really are. You are the permanently redeemed of the Lord. You are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. The best thing we can do is embrace it. And so you got to know who you are. And by knowing who you are, you got to know the gospel. So I'm going to throw up a list of verses and I'm going to read some of them to you because I want to remind you of who you are in Christ if you're Christ. Because yes, you're the salt. Yes, you're the light. But let's just be reminded. Let's bathe in these words. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. In the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me, who gave himself for me. In him, we have redemption. I'm reading just verses seven and eight of Ephesians one. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished on us in all wisdom and insight. Ephesians 2, one through 10, the whole passage is incredible, but just go into the middle of it. Verse four, but God being rich in mercy because of the great love which he loved us even when we were dead in our trespasses made us alive together with Christ. By grace, you have been saved. You've been raised up, seated with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. Think about that. That's who you are. It's no wonder you're miserable when you're a Pharisee. It's no wonder you're miserable when you try to like soft sell the gospel and be the woke Christian. It's no wonder you're miserable when you're wayward. You're not even who you, you're not living who you are. Ephesians 3, Paul says, for this reason, I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named that according to the riches of his glory, listen to this, he may grant you to be strengthened with power. I pray this over all of us right now through your spirit, his spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend, listen to this, with all the saints, what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with the fullness of God. Romans 5, 8, will be the last one I read. But God shows his love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. The second little theological term I want to introduce you to tonight is, is a twofold term. One is monergism, the other is synergism. I'm not telling you that you all have to be Calvinist, but I think to really understand the gospel, you need to be real close to being like a full on mon, uh, uh, a monergism person. See, monergism is the view that grace and faith, the gospel, is all God and none of you. You need to know that you didn't earn this. You didn't deserve this. It was bestowed upon you. And now this is who you are. You are the salt and you are the light. If you flip over to the synergist side, 
You're always going to struggle because you're going to think this is so dependent on your behavior. Yes, God did his part, but, but your behavior is what's going to hold it all together. And you're going to be gripped this whole life walking with the Lord. To walk in freedom and boldness with the Lord is to know the gospel, the good news. And the good news is I didn't deserve anything. I was dead in my trespasses, but God being rich in mercy, has delivered me. And he bestowed on me the title of salt and light. And so what what do I do? I try to rightly adjust my life as a response of thank you. Look, the way you know if you're embracing the salt the permanence of God and representing that, the light, the witness to the nations, is your life seeks to clarify who the Lord is. But if your life confuses, then you've stepped away from who you really are. You see, the gospel clarifies and sin confuses. We need to go back And we need to learn the gospel and preach it to ourselves every day. We are God's permanent, redeemed witnesses to the nations. Think about Posty, old Posty, Malone. Think about Posty. Have you, like, Will and I were talking about his his newest album, and I was listening to, to some of it, and that song, Give Me Something Real. There are people like Post Malone that are crying out. Give me something real that I can feel. Give me something real. I would trade it all just to be at peace. When you choose to to shrug away from being the permanent redeemed of the Lord, when you choose to shy away from embracing that you are the light to the nations, you're cheating folks like Post. You're cheating all these other folks out there that are like, show me something real. If you're really a Christian, just be a Christian. Let me see what it looks like. I, I remember a long time ago in high school, I had this girlfriend and it was a terrible relationship and I ended up having to break up with her when I came to, came to faith in the Lord and I really thought she hated me and she probably should have. I think she might have for a while, but when I was in college, she called me one day and I really thought it was to like kind of let me have it, which I deserved. But her, her phone call went something like this. What's going on with you? You're not the person that I dated from what I've heard from other people. I wasn't trying to like change her world. I was trying to learn the gospel and just follow Jesus. And apparently there was some salt and light that was evident because I was just trying to be the Lord's and it got back to her. And so I got to share the gospel with her. I don't know what's happened since then, but it's amazing when you're just trying to know the Lord and be his. And you just kind of let the chips fall where they may. There's a guy who just got saved in here a couple of weeks ago, just came to Christ a couple of weeks ago. He's been here for a year and a half. And part of the reason he came to faith is because you were just being followers of Jesus. 
you were having good days and bad days and you were repenting and you were, you were walking in righteousness and all these different aspects of following Jesus, but you were just like, I'm just trying to follow him and I hope I'm doing an okay job. And he's come to faith in the Lord and a big part of that witness is you. Uh, we, Heather and I called um, a girl who used to be in our college ministry who, um, who is now serving at a church in Texas. We called her the other day to have a very interesting conversation late Sunday night. We, uh, Heather did like the whole explore thing on Instagram, which opens up a, a, a wild world of things they think you want. And, uh, and so like she clicked the button and there was this, this influencer on there who had some impeccable style. And, uh, and so she was looking through and the, the influencer um, I was hesitant to say this. I'm just going to say it. Uh, the influ- you don't have to know my every thought. Sorry. Uh, and so, like, the influencer, though, like, she is engaged to another woman. And so we were, we were just looking at her story, like, incredible style, this lady. Um, and so we were looking through the story, and then we saw this girl had liked, like, a bunch of her stuff. And so Heather said, and one of the things she liked was her engagement picture. And this girl's, like, a strong believer. And so I was like, this is, very, this is a case study. Let's call her. So it's, like, 10 o'clock Sunday night. And so I, I text her. I was like, can you, can you talk? And she was like, yes. And so she, like, ran to her bedroom, said, um, she said, Thomas wants to talk to me. I've got to go. And so, like, I was like, you're not in trouble. I just, like, we want to talk. She had no idea. And so we had this, this long, incredible conversation about salt and light and like, what do we endorse and what do we not endorse? And I just wanted to hear her thoughts on like what she would like and wouldn't like. And like, is there any difference between like if she, this woman, this influencer was like a real friend of hers? Like, do you, would she go to the wedding? Would she not? Would she like go to dinner with her? Would she not? All these, and we had some great conversations. And a couple of times she said, what would you do, Thomas? And I told her what I would do. And, uh, but I'm not telling you. Uh, and so like, I just want I like the tension, you know? Um, and so um, I will tell you if you ask me, but anyway, um, but she, we, we kind of transitioned it to like, what if she was a real person friend? Like, what would you do? And she's like, that is such a great way to think of it. And a couple of times she said, what should I do? And I said, I don't think I can tell you in this particular question what you should do. Cause I think I'd be making a legalism for you. It'd be easy for me to tell you, like, do this, don't do this, do this, don't do this. But I think this is partly a question of righteousness and partly a question of wisdom. And so even that is like a way to start processing, am I being salt, am I being light? Like your dating life, you need to be salt and light. You need to remember you're the redeemed of the Lord. Don't do stupid stuff on hinge. Like you need to be, you're the redeemed of the Lord. You're the light to the nations. So like maybe even date other people in this room and stuff. Like, you know, it's, it's okay. Nice people. Um, like be, be salt and light where people can know you and see you. There, there's so much more that, that I could say, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna lay on the plane. You are the salt if you're in Christ. You're the permanence the redeemed of the Lord. You are the light. You are not earning these titles. They have been bestowed upon you by the blood of Jesus. You're the witness to the nations. We're all he's got. Have you fully embraced that? We want to repent from being the Pharisee, the woke, or the wayward. As Hastings says, they're just three different shades of pride. Remember, there are people writing major songs out there calling out, we want something real. 
If you aren't in the light of Jesus, I first want to ask you to forgive us Christians for not always being the best picture of Jesus, but I want to remind you, we're just a little reflection. Look to Christ more than you look to us. And would you consider him who loved you so much that he would not want to leave you dead in your trespasses? I think it'd be a good time to stop and sing to the Lord and just deal with, am I embracing being the salt and the light? Father, would you please just move in our hearts, Lord? Lord, would you help us to to get comfortable living in the identity you have given us? May we go back and trace the gospel and be reminded of what you've done and who you are and who you've called us. And Lord, give us courage to reflect you and be the light. Give us courage to be the redeemed of the Lord. Thank you for being so gracious and bestowing those on us. It's in Jesus' name I pray, Lord. Amen.